good. Passion. Passion's good. Apathy bad. Everybody say apathy bad. Passion good. Amen. <laughs> uh, let, me, let me share a little message to you before I give you the message that's been in my heart to give you. Uh, while you are waiting in line to get in here, we had church uh, uh, right out here. So yeah, w with, with, the, with the staff and some of the workers here, just a, a group of us. And this morning, uh, a word came to me, and I'm, it's not for you, or uh, I wasn't developing it for you, but it was just a simple word about God's provision. And, and, and it was starting to break down in my heart about God's provision, and I'll just share it real quickly, the quick outline of it. Uh, first of all, there's commanded provision. Uh, and I, that phrase I have pulled out of the story of Elijah. I remember when God commanded the ravens to bring bread and meat. He commanded provision, a particular way that this provision was going to come, and a particular kind of provision. It was commanded by God. And then he commanded the widow to provide for him. And so for each one of us, there has been provision already commanded for our lives, for our ministry, for everything that we need. And uh, I, I love to tell the Chinese people on this particular point that there are eggs being hatched today that have your name on them. Uh, they will become chickens that will end up on your table, or they'll become chickens that lay eggs, that produce chickens that lay eggs. And three years from now, uh, that provision has already been prepared for you way in advance. Say, this is advanced provision of God. You know, when God created the world, when he created the earth, and there was only two people here, Adam and Eve, but he, there was enough resources, enough air, and enough water, and enough principles at work in the earth, like sowing and reaping, to provide for seven billion. That's pretty abundant provision for two people. But that's the way God does things. He does things abundantly and so this is a abundant provision when you ask for wisdom he doesn't give you just a little he gives it abundantly jesus said i've come that you may have a little life no i've come that you may have abundant life and so fullness is kind of the way god does things you know when the when the disciples pulled the the nets they, it was full. The nets were full to the breaking point. That's the way he does things. He does things to the full. He doesn't pardon a little. He pardons abundantly. And so there's commanded provision. There's advanced provision. Let me. I, I wrote some of these down. Where did I? Let me make sure I give you this little mini sermon in advance here. Advanced provision. Ah, it was Abraham that was going to sacrifice Isaac. But God had already provided a lamb in advance to be stuck in that thicket, which is just a type of the advanced provision God made for sinful man by providing a lamb for us to be slain before we were even born. That's advanced provision. Now, I say all this because each one of us are going to have needs this year, going to have needs this month, going to have needs, and all kinds of needs, not just financial needs. There are, so, there, there are some basic needs that we all have, but God's already got it set up for you, just so you know. Matter of fact, this, this core group, this social group, this church group, this connectivity you have, there is provision, something in the heart and mind of God for each one of us, for each family here. And it is abundant, all right? Now, I can continue this message, but let me just give you one more point to it that was stirred in my heart this morning, and that's activated provision. Now, there's all this provision, but there's certain triggers, there's certain activations necessary on our part. For example, give and you tap into the provision that's been in advance for you for before you were born. Ask, 
and you start receiving the provision God's already had. Knock, and on the other side of that door has been provision from the foundation of the world that's already got your name on it. Seek, and you shall find. And so there's activation on our part. When we pray, when we seek, there is reward that's already got your name on it. That's a good word right there. I, I think I'm going I'm to keep that word. All right, the word I want to bring to you is uh, found in uh, Acts chapter 27. with this message, and so in Acts chapter 27, this is, uh, I'll give you the background of this, Paul has been arrested in Jerusalem at the temple, he was there and there was an uproar that began at the temple, a mob, when they recognized who Paul was, and so now here's a mob that wants his head. And so he's arrested at the temple, but Roman soldiers have intervened and they rescued him from the mob that was enraged. These Jews can get pretty intense. I don't know if you see it in the scripture, especially religious ones. And so uh, Paul made the appeal to be sent before a Roman court for judgment. That's what he could do as a Roman citizen. It was a, a privilege of a Roman citizen to make an appeal to the Roman court rather than face local jurisdiction or, in this case, the, the Jewish uh, political system that the Romans had allowed there in Jerusalem. And so he was in prison, and he was awaiting his opportunity to go to Rome. Okay, And now, in this chapter, he's on his way to Rome with some fellow prisoners, and we'll start reading in verse 1. When it was decided that we would sail for Italy, they proceeded to deliver Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. And embarking on a Adriamitean ship, which was about to sail to the regions along the coast of Asia, we put out to sea accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Bessonal, I can't say that word, Bessonal, say it, but Laurel. You know, there's some things your tongue won't do. I have been, I've been in the ministry for a long time, and I still can't say that. Okay, Bessonal. That, say it again. That, that's, that's the, my, my, I'm sorry, my tongue is, I mean, I can speak in tongues, you know, but th this, this word gets me. That's, that's son, no, Okay. The next day we, <laughs> oh, Jesus. The next day we put in at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul with consideration and allowed him to go with his friends and receive care. From there they put out to sea and sailed under the sh shelter of Cyprus because the winds were contrary. And when we had sailed through the sea along the coasts of Sicilia and Pamphylia, we, we landed at Myra in Lycia. There the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing for Italy, and he put us aboard it. And when we had sailed slowly for a good many days and with difficulty had arrived off Sinaitis, since the wind did not permit us to go further, we sailed under the shelter of Crete off Sal Salmon. And with difficulty sailing past it, we came to a place called Fair Havens, near which was the city of Lacey. When considerable time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous, since even the fast was already over, Paul began admonishing them, and he said to them, Men, I perceive that the voyage will certainly be with damage and great loss, not only to the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. But the centurion was more persuaded by the pilot and the captain of the ship than what was being said by Paul. Because the harbor was not suitable for wintering, the majority reached a decision to put out to sea from there if somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete facing southwest and northwest and spend the winter there. When a moderate south wind came up, supposing they had attained their purpose, they weighed anchor and began sailing along Crete, close inshore. But before very long, there rushed down from the land a violent wind called Uroquillo. Actually, that's a, that comes from the word typhoon. And when the ship was caught in it, 
and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and let ourselves be driven along. Running under the shelter of a small island called Claudia, we were scarcely able to get the ship's boat under control. After they had hoisted it up, they used supporting cables and undergirding the ship, and fearing that they might run aground on the shallows of Sardis, they let down the sea anchor and in this way let themselves be driven along. The next day, as we were being violently storm-tossed, they bit somehow this all reminds me of some mission trips I've been on, you know, <laughs> Being violently storm-tossed, they began to jettison the cargo. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. Since neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small storm was assailing us, from then on, all hope of our being saved was gradually abandoned. Let me pause in our reading. I, I just wanted to give you that portion of Scripture just to encourage your lives today. All right. <laughs> <laughs> you're you're fine. You're welcome. <laughs> Let me break down some of the elements of this storm. Verse four says, "Contrary winds." Okay, life's like that sometimes. It's it, it's not flowing the same way you want to go. Uh, verse seven says, "Slow sailing, difficult progress, being hindered by a problem." Uh, verse eight. We have the word difficulty. Sometimes there are difficult seasons in our lives. I know Susan, you know, she went through many years of a very difficult season in her life. And uh, she was getting, she didn't shipwreck, but uh, it, was, it was a tough season of slow sailing, difficult progress. Verse 10, damage, great loss, life-threatening conditions. Verse 14, violent Winds. Anybody had violent winds in your life? Verse 15 and 16, loss of control. We won't talk about that one, but some people are out of control. Their lives are out of control, uh, and they're in a storm. Verse, four, verse 18, violently storm-tossed, loss of possessions, cargo, financial loss. These kind of storms happen to folks. Verse 19, desperation. They had a loss of their vital and precious commodities, their steering operations. You know, they threw the, they threw the tackle overboard to survive. In verse 20, we have darkness or hopelessness. No sun nor stars for many days. This is quite a storm. And when it goes on this long and it gets this dark, it affects the hope of anyone. Verse 21, hunger. Verse 22, discouragement. Now, I haven't read this far, but there, in verse 24, we have fear. Verse 29, we have fear of disaster. In verse 30, we have the temptation to flee responsibility. They, the soldiers wanted to leave the prisoners, get off the ship. and uh, I mean, the sailors did. And the sailors were responsible for the ship, but they wanted to escape their responsibility and get out of the, get out of the storm. And verse 33, lots of stress. And we can, uh, maybe I could st uh, start reading that right now. If, if, if you want to do that, then we continue with <laughs> this tragic story. <laughs> verse 21, when they had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up in their midst and said, Men, you ought to have followed. Na 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 na, I told you so. You, must have, you, you should have followed my advice and not set sail from Crete and encouraged this damage and loss. Let me, before I go on with the rest of this story, I, th I think we would all agree storms happen. Okay, it's just life. Storms, matter of fact, that'd be a good bumper sticker. Storms happen, right? And we're experiencing all kinds of storms in our lives. There may be financial storms, relational storms, you know, family storms, marital storms, medical storms, you know, uh, things that touch our lives physically. <coughs> now, a pessimist said this. A pessimist said you're either coming out of a storm, in a storm, or headed for a storm. Okay? Because... because 
It's life. You know, life has its problems. It has its difficulties. The accuser, in the midst of any storm that you go through, here's what the accuser says. He says, there's something wrong with you. God is punishing you. You don't have your act together. You're at fault. You're the reason why you're going through the trouble you're going. That's the voice of the accuser. And we always need to discern that because I see God getting blamed for stuff that he should never get blamed for. All right? So the pessimist says one thing. The accuser says another thing. But I want to tell you what Jesus says. That's the one. That's the voice we want to listen to. In John chapter 16, verse 33, he said this, In the world you will have tribulation. <laughs> now, that word there means to crowd or to press. It indicates pressure or squeezings. In the Amplified Bible, it says tribulations, trials, distress, frustration. The Living Bible says trouble. So here's Jesus saying, I promise you trouble. Amen. <laughs> you know, it's right there in the promise box. You're going to have pressure. You're going to have trouble. You're going to have problems. Why in the world would God ever, Jesus, ever guarantee that you're going to have tribulation? Well, here's the answer. You ready for the answer? He said it in the very first part of the statement. He said, in the world. That, that, right there's your problem. In the world, in this broken place, in this place where sin has run rampant, in this place where there's greed and where there's the selfishness of men, where there's imperfect political systems, there's imperfect economic systems, in the world, because you are in the world, you're going to have problems. Now, there is one place on the earth where there are no problems. It's called the cemetery. In the graveyard, zero problems. So problems, problems are a good sign you're alive. <laughs> Go ahead, turn to somebody and say, I'm alive. I got problems. <laughs> Amen. Glory to God. Now, we've all watched storms and fires, you know, uh, take pe down people's lives. You know, all around us, we've seen it over and over again. We've watched it destroy marriages, destroy homes, destroy families, ministries, and careers. But that's not all Jesus said. When he <laughs> you're, you're ready for the rest of this verse, aren't you? Uh, he's, he's, he's going, here's the rest of the verse. I want to hear the rest of the verse. He says, here's what Jesus says. Be encouraged. Be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. Now, there's so much in that statement right there. The Bible says this, whatever is born of God overcomes the world. So the nature of your new creature, the nature of the new man inside of you is the very nature of Christ, which is overcomer. That's who we are on the inside. That's the advantage that you and I have in this place, in this world, is there is an overcomer on the inside. Therefore, our response will be different. Because of the resources we have, we will respond differently. Now, in this story, I want you to look at this storm. I mean, this was no small storm assailing them. At, you know, you just look at, I, I kind of listed and broke it down, all these different elements. He was getting them all. Okay, Paul was in a huge storm. These people were terrified. They were in the middle of a a hurricane, a typhoon. <laughs> they, just, they all figure they're going to die, okay? That's how bad this storm was. And the response of everybody on that ship was fear, panic, and huge discouragement. They couldn't even eat. They were so distraught. But there was one man on that ship that was in perfect peace. One. He was... He was in control in the midst of this hurricane. He was at peace. Now, that's what I want to talk about. Now, I know 
you know, I didn't know what to expect here uh, this week. I know there's winds of change blowing for your lives as a church. There's winds of change blowing in Tifton, Georgia. Uncertainties. There's decisions to be made. And, of course, in the midst of that, there may be an accuser. There will be an accuser, let me say. Lying is what he does best. He's been at it for thousands of years, and he's still lying. And so discerning the voice of the accuser is important, but also the pessimists also run their mouths. And so there's, there's always blame shifting going on, and there's all kinds of uh, accusations that can get thrown. This is the voice of our enemy, okay? And so with these winds of change, Jesus always has a word for your life. Hmm? No matter what the future holds, he's got advanced provision for you. And so... Uh, let, let, me, let me look at some principles here that help Paul in the middle of the storm. And I see these principles in the Scripture, and this, these are the ones I want us to see and hang on to. And here's the first thing Paul says. We, we ended up at, at verse 22. Now, he said, verse 22, he said, Yet now, He's talking to everybody on this ship. I urge you to keep up your courage, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night, an angel of the God to whom I belong and who I serve stood before me. Now, here's the principle. Here's what Paul had. He had the certainty of belonging to the God who is greater than the storm. He knew who he belonged to, the one that had plans for his life and even sent an angel because Paul was the apple of his eye. And I'm telling you something, there's great comfort and there's great safety knowing that we, that you, belong to God. You've been bought with a great price. See, you know, we, you know when you think about the most expensive thing that you've purchased, you insure it, don't you? <laughs> you take care of it, you know. <laughs> well, you've been purchased. You've been bought. You know, I, I love to tell the Chinese, you know, I, I pull off my watch, and my little Walmart watch, and, uh, and, uh, and I always say, yeah, I just paid, you know, maybe 20 bucks for this watch or 30 bucks or whatever it is. And, and I ask one of them, and I'll say, hey, listen, uh, what, what kind of what iPhone you got here? What, an 8? You got an 8. Anybody got a 10? No, you got an 8. You got a 10. Oh, baby. Where's that 10? Over there. Well, you don't have to get it. Just tell me how much does that 10 cost? Don't be embarrassed. I paid 300. It's 1,000. Yeah. You paid 300. Wow. Well, it's a $1,000 phone. $1,000 $20, $1,000, which is more valuable? <laughs> the iPhone, of course, because you paid more for it. Well, how much did it cost God to buy you, to redeem you? What did it cost? It cost the blood of his own son. That should say something about how valuable you are. And your insurance plan is that you have been encompassed about with angels to protect what belongs to him. <laughs> he encamps round about those that fear him. I am his possession purchased with a great price. Now, knowing that, that'll keep you secure in the middle of a hurricane. He knew who he belonged to. You see, I, I feel the same way, Laurel, when I get on an African plane where they have to duct tape the door shut and clear the cows off the runway before we take off. I know everybody on that plane is safer because I'm on it. That's, that's why, and I love it when, I take, when I've taken people overseas, especially to China, and they're in a Chinese taxi, and I look at their knuckles, several shades of white there. 
they're just hanging on, and I, and I, I've learned not to look, you know. <laughs> just, you know, I, me and everybody in the car are safer because I belong to God, and he's got an insurance policy on my life, see. He's got a mission for my life, just like he had a mission for Paul. And so uh, let me give you a lesson uh, from one of the great personalities of our generation. Uh, it's just really an American icon, <coughs> uh, Buzz Lightyear. <laughs> you know, you, you've seen the movie, right? Uh, there's a scene in Toy Story where Woody and Buzz are trapped at evil Sid's house. You how many remember the story? Okay. Uh, Buzz is underneath the milk crate, you know, and he can't get out. Uh, Buzz has a, a rocket strapped to his back, ready for execution, but there was a rain delay. Remember? And so they're in Sid's bedroom, and uh, Buzz has just realized he's really not a space ranger. The revelation has come to him that he's just a toy. And he's, I'm just a toy. And he's ripping off the, the labels off of his, remember? You know, you can see the scene, can't you? And here's what he says. He says, I'm not, he's lamenting, I'm not a space ranger. I'm just a toy, a stupid little insignificant toy. Well, this is at this point that Woody rebukes him and begins to encourage him about what it is to be a toy and to be Andy's toy. And he says, whoa. He said, wait a minute, being a toy is a lot better than being a space ranger. Look over there in that house, there's a kid who thinks you're the greatest. It's not because you're a space ranger, pal. It's because you're a toy and you're his toy. You're not just a toy. You're his toy. You're his possession. And at this point, uh, Buzz, you know, he looks at the bottom of his shoe. And there's Andy's name written on the bottom of his shoe. And this is when he has a turnaround. <laughs> and with renewed confidence, Buzz leaps into action, and he saves all those abused toys from the evil teenager, Sid. Because he recognized who he belonged to. So I'm not just a human. Man, I'm God's human. See? And I'm God's favorite human. Yeah, you see, the favor of God is on your life. He favors you because he's put his name on you. And he's got your name inscribed in the palm of his hand. Isn't that right? Woo! That's right. So I belong to him. It, and you know what? Having his name on your life and, and really having Andy's name on Woody's shoe and Buzz's shoe wasn't just a tag for ownership, but also affection. He loved those toys. Ah. <laughs> He's got his name on us, and his love is aimed at us like nothing else on the earth. We're his favorites. Mm. So my identity is not defined by what I do, how I perform, but who I belong to. Eh? It's not defined by the storm. Not defined by a failure. See, you can fail and not be a failure. You can fail. Doesn't change God's attitude about you and towards you. Doesn't change who you are. Even you can sin. Doesn't make you a lost sinner. Makes you a righteous man who needs to mature in this area. To express the holiness of God. See, so our identity is secure. Our identity is in God. And it, I'll tell you what, let's read this one together. If you've got your Bible, go to Isaiah 43, and we'll read this one, and we'll read it aloud, and we'll read it with gusto. Okay? This is one of my favorites. Now, we may be all having different translations. I don't know, but Isaiah 43, I'll let you get there. We'll read it aloud. Everybody there? Anybody still not there yet? Come on. <laughs> I'm using New American Standard. I'm sorry. Yeah, those that have phones. Okay. You know, this is, you know, this is, we're getting back to the original. Um, you know, the scroll. 
where you, where you scroll the Bible, yeah, it's, this is amazing what, what's happening here. All right, Isaiah 43, reading in verse 1, Thus says the Lord God, your Creator. Let's say it together. Thus says the Lord, your Creator, O Jacob, who formed you, O Israel. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you walk through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, nor will the flame burn you. And it goes on. that You, you know, if you ever get discouraged, that's a great chapter. All right. But my exhortation this morning, my point one here is this. Staying mindful of belonging to God will get you through any storm. God knows where you're at. He knows your name. You know, I love that story by Ken Gobb tells. Uh, Ken Gobb, evangelist, traveling through America with his family. He stops at a, a gas station to get gas. Kids go in, get some Slurpees or something, and He's feeling a little discouraged, you know, and uh, thinking about his life and ministry and everything else. And while he's there pumping the gas, uh, he puts the, puts the hose back, and here's a, the payphone ringing. Now, some, if there's any youngsters in here, you may not know what a payphone is. You know what a, you know what a payphone is? <laughs> okay. Have you ever seen a payphone? Have you ever used a payphone? No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, the payphone rings, and it just keeps ringing, and he's thinking, man, anybody going to answer that? And so he finally goes over to answer the phone, and uh, he answers it up, and it says, the operator's there. It says, long-distance phone call for, Ms. for Ken Gom. He said, what? No, th- this can't be. Uh, and he went on his, I'm just stopping for gas. Is Ken Gobb there? And finally he says to the operator, yes, hold on just a second. And then this girl comes on the phone uh, from California. He's somewhere in Ohio, I think, when he got this call. And it's a phone call from somebody in California. And, and she says, is this, is this Ken Gobb? He said, yes. She says, I really need some help. And she begins to tell her story that, she had been in a storm, and she was ready to take her life. And many, I don't know, many months before, she had heard Ken Gom at a meeting or something, and she just said to herself, if I could just talk to him and reach him, I need some help right now. I don't know who else to call. And when she prayed that, some numbers came into her head. She wrote them down, and she dialed them on the phone and reached the phone booth where he was stopping for gas. And when he hung up that phone, his family was coming out of, you know, with their snacks and everything to get back to the the car. And he said, honey, honey, God knows where I am. I want to tell you something. He knows where you are. He knows if you're in the middle of a storm. He knows what your checkbook looks like. He wasn't taken surprise that, that Lawrence and April feel they've come to the end of their assignment. He isn't up there going, oh, my God, you know, what? No, no, no. He has provision way in advance. He knows what he's got for your life. The connections that you're going to supply to a house here or there or anywhere. All of us are on assignment. Somebody say amen. Amen. Okay, we need to move this along here. You are just stretching this out. Too. You will never get out of here, you know. <laughs> All right, let me show you the second thing I see that helped him overcome in the storm. One first was the certainty of belonging to God. But here's what he said. He said, verse 23, On this very night, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood before me, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar, and behold, God has granted you all those who are sailing with you. Therefore, keep up your courage, men, for I believe, God, that it will turn out exactly as I have been told. 
The second thing he had is he had faith in a promise of God that was given to him. He had faith in the words that God had spoken. Paul had a promise. He had a promise. Just as he told me. Now, 2 Peter chapter 1 says this, that he has granted to you and I, he's granted to us, everything pertaining to life, pertaining to our storms, pertaining to our destiny, pertaining to our future. He has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises. And these promises become an anchor in any storm that you go through. You know God's got a promise. He's got a promise, okay? Uh, David uh, could face a Goliath because he had a promise. He was going to be the next king in Jerusalem. He could handle this Goliath storm because he knew he was going to win that fight. I've, I've got, I've got, let me tell you this about a promise that this is very, very real to me. I was driving down the road. Uh, I had my, my, my two boys, Andrew and Nathan, were little. I'm carrying them over to uh, the Christian school. We, they were been involved in Christian education. And so as I was coming to a stop sign, uh, leaving my neighborhood, the Holy Spirit spoke very loud to me and said, and this, this was a word for me. I, I'm, this is a wholesale word for everybody and all Christians. It was for me. He said, spare no expense in the Christian education of your children. It was actually a, a command from the Lord is what it was. And I heard it so loud. And, you know, when you hear something inside, you know, that's, that's how, as a New Testament believer, we're to be receiving the instructions of God, is, is the inner man. If you hear something with your external ears, and every once in a while, maybe only one, a couple times in my life, if I heard a voice that sounded like it was in the house or in the car, anybody had that kind of experience? I'm guessing that that's usually an angel that's relating the message of God to you. Because God's voice, is, it's either going to come through Jesus standing in front of you uh, to be on the earth. I, don't, I really don't need to explain this, but somebody's got to have vocal cords, you see. Creation has vocal cords. The angels got vocal cords, and they're sent to speak. And so I felt like I heard from an angel that day. Well, here's the, here's the thing about a promise of God. When he gives you a promise, it isn't for you to supply all the resources to fulfill that promise. You know, when, or when he commands you to do something. He would never command you to do anything and not give you the provision to obey him. That would be ridiculous. And so in my case, I, I thought about that for a minute, and I thought, well, that's no big deal. Uh, we've, Susan and I have already decided our kids are going to Christian school. You know, I mean, it's no big deal. You know, and it, the, the command wouldn't even make sense until it came time to send them to Christian university. <laughs> you see, I could have sent them to some state schools, you know, and they would have had a free ride. But he said Christian education for me. And so that would cost a lot of money. The first one was over $80,000 to get him that engineering degree. And the second, I mean, it just, these are big bills. But not a, not a, not a school loan. Nothing, because all the provision when he commands you to do something is there. And so all three of my kids have had their university educations, and they're doing good, and they're doing wonderful. My pocketbook's just fine. Okay? So when he gives you a promise, he will fulfill that promise in our life. Now, this morning I, I got up, and I, I don't want to spend too much time with this, but, boy, we can spend the rest. Do you have one of these books, little promise books? This is actually a Soul Winner's New Testament. But boy, as I was going through this, um, the promises that are all listed, you know how maybe even in your Bible it says this, uh, you know, what to do when you're in a storm, what to do when you're in financial trouble, what to do when you're in marriage trouble, what to do when troubles hit your life. And there is such a list of promises for you to lay hold of in your life. And I just start reading them. The Lord is good, a stronghold. In the day of trouble, in the day of your storm, there's a stronghold. That's a promise. And he knoweth them that trust in him. Though I walk through the midst of trouble, boy, just Psalm 23 in itself. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Though I'm going through a typhoon, 
He's with me. Knowing the promises, speaking the promises. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, thou wilt revive me. Thou shalt stretch forth thine hand against the wrath of mine enemies, and thy right hand shall save me. Well, I've got pages and pages of stuff. Financial trouble. I have been young and I am now old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. There's more than enough provision for me and you and the people around me. Yeah, I'm going to, you know, even in a day of famine, the scripture says, the righteous will have an abundance. You know, sometimes people will fear a coming economic storm. But you know what? I've thought about this many times, and I believe this, that if food, you know, and sometimes I said there's what, like a three-day supply of food uh, for any given area, you know, and if uh, the systems break down, uh, it might be three days or more before your grocery stores are filled back up enough to supply for the neighborhood. You know, anybody that's been through the gas crisis of the 70s, you know what I'm talking about. We lined up for blocks to get a little bit of gas, and it was rationed. And you think about days of famine, days like that could happen, boom, they could happen real quickly, you know. Well, I've had this idea in my head that in a day like that, I'll be feeding my neighborhood out of my refrigerator. Okay. Let, let me say this. You know, I didn't put my watch on, so that's, that's a bad thing. I, it's in my suitcase. I, where am I at? <laughs> when a preacher doesn't have his watch. Oh, my gosh. It's afternoon already. Yeah, we got to start. You know, you know, when a preacher, oh, here's my watch. I'm just not paying attention to it. You see, I'm going to tell you something. There was a boy that was in church, you know, and, and his first time he's in church, and he's looking around, and he's watching what the ushers are doing. What are they doing? All oh, they're receiving money. What are they doing? And then the preacher got up to preach, and he took his watch off, and he set it right up on the pulpit. And the little boy asked his mom, what, what, what's that about? What does that mean? And his mama said, it don't mean a thing. <laughs> so... I'll try to do better. All right, you got, <laughs> you got the idea? I could read these all day long. If you don't have a promise book, get one. You know, and, uh, and if you don't have any, a partner speaking promises to your life, get one. You know, and in the back of your Bible, there should be a list of promises like that. So, uh, promise in the faith of God. And so this is my exhortation here is to hold on to the promise of God. And the last point I want to make that I see Paul doing and as you read the rest of this chapter he ministered to the people that were on the ship and in verse 35 it says having said this and he was encouraging the people on the ship he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of all and he broke it and began to eat all of them were encouraged and they themselves took food and those that were saved were 276 persons. Now, the natural tendency when you get into a storm, when pressure is on you, the natural tendency of man is to grumble and complain. Is that right? <laughs> Getting that traffic lamp. You know. Uh, maybe, maybe getting here this morning when you couldn't get through. Maybe there was some complaint that arose out of your heart. That's what happens with the old man. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 10, it says, the Bible, Paul wrote this. He said that the Jews in the wilderness grumbled and were destroyed by the destroyer. Every time we open up our lives to grumbling and complaining, the quality of our life is reduced. A window becomes open to the destroyer. But thankfulness, like I see Paul doing here, it prepares a way for our deliverance. Psalm 50 says this, He who offers a sacrifice of thanksgiving honors me. This is an indication of faith. And to him who orders his conversation aright will I show the salvation of God. 
You see Paul and Silas in the midnight of their life, in the midst of a storm, what did they do in the prison? Began to thank God and, and worship God. Uh, I could tell you story after story in the Bible. King Hezekiah, when he was threatened and he had a storm pending against him, he laid out this threatening letter before God. And, and, and this is what I want to say is here's one of the first steps in overcoming your storm. Number one, cast it on the Lord. Psalm 55 verse 22 says, cast your burden on the Lord. He will sustain you. He will never allow the righteous to be shaken. He will hear my voice. He will redeem my soul in peace from the battle which is against me. Psalm 62 verse 8 says, pour your heart out before him. God is a refuge in the storm for us. Psalm 50, verse 15 says, Call upon me in the day of trouble, I shall rescue you. So number one, cast it on the Lord. Number two, remember God's faithfulness in the middle of your storm. Psalms is a continuous account of David's overcoming by remembering God's faithfulness, remembering his goodness, remembering his deeds, remembering his benefits. I could tell you stories, and you could too. Uh, when I remember I was at Christ for the Nations, and uh, money was quite thin, my tuition was due, And I remember I was, I was pacing my dorm room. You know, I had been to the mailbox that day, no money. <laughs> and my bill was due, and I remember I was pacing my dorm room, and, I was, and somehow out of my mouth I started saying, you know, you're the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then I was saying, you're the God of January, February, March, you saw me through June and July. You saw me and all last year. And I began to uh, recount the faithfulness of God of supplying my need. And so in remembering his past deliverances, his past salvation, his past provision will keep your heart encouraged in the midst of a storm. Cast it on the Lord. Remember God's faithfulness. And during the storm, listen to me, this is important. Stay on the boat. Stay with the troops because there's also another tendency when trouble hits in people's lives, they stop going to church. And so some of the grace that they could have, they can't get. The encouragement, the prophetic words, the strength that you get in a body won't be there. You'll be on your own. And you know what the Bible says. I think it's in the Bible. Uh, the, the banana that gets separated from the bunch is the first one to get peeled. That's... It ought to be in the Bible, right? <laughs> Lone Christians don't survive long. I just want you to know, we're meant to be bunched together. The new wine is in the cluster, my friend. There's provision in the cluster for us. So during the storm, stay on the boat. And you know this one, speak the word of God. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 6 says, The mouth of the upright will deliver him. And we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. So in the middle of your storm, your mouth needs to get going. And when you got the accuser, listen, just what I really liked about David. You know, he's going to face Goliath. And, I mean, he's talking to Saul, and here's Goliath. He's, he's cursing the children of Israel. And, and David walks up on the scene and says, what's going on here? And he goes to the king and says, I'll kill him. I'll kill him. Let, let, give me an opportunity. I'll kill him. You see, and then when, when, uh, when the, the Philistine said, what am I, a dog that you come at me with sticks? Uh, he said, little boy, I'm going to take your head off and feed you to the birds. And he didn't talk like a shepherd boy at that point. He talked like a king and said, no, 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 not my head, but it's your head that's coming off today. Not only you, but all the armies of the Philistines this day will be defeated. That's big talk. So I'll tell you something, when the accuser comes to you, when the devil's telling you you're not going to make it through this storm, you talk back to the devil. Don't let him have the last word. You quote the word at him because that's your weapon in the middle of the storm against the accuser, against the pessimist. You have a promise from God. You have a God that loves you. You have a God to whom you belong. And he'll send a troop of angels if necessary to get you and protect you out of that storm. Amen. Amen. I think I'll, I'll quit now. Let me, I'll give you this last one. You ready? Last point. 
Real simple, and I know everybody in here will do it. Worship. That's a weapon. This is how we overcome. Your problem and your storm hasn't changed the nature of God a bit. He's still worthy of worship. He's still worthy to be praised. So let's stand up. And I tell you what, if you've got a storm in your life right now, it might be financial, might be marriage, it might be, you know, where's our future now, you know, as a church? Well, I'll tell you something, the winds are blowing, but you're standing firm. Just, just say it, I'm standing firm. I have a God who loves me. I am surrounded with his protection. I am infused with his ability. I belong to him. I am the possession of God. And I'll go through every storm because he is with me. He has redeemed me from the trouble. I am an overcomer. Amen, amen. We worship you, God. Now let's worship the, the God who's above the storms. Let's do that. Let's lift our hands. Lord, we worship you. Whatever our issue is, we cast it on you right now. We cast our problems, our pressures, our trials upon you right now because you care for us. And we declare that you will provide what we need according to your scriptures which say that my God shall supply all my need according to his riches in glory. I thank you that you are our shepherd, the shepherd of our souls, and we shall not lack, we shall not want, but you lead us into green pastures. You lead us beside still waters. You restore our soul. And though we walk through trouble and through the valley of the shadow of death, we are assured of this. You are with us, and our soul delights in you, O God. Amen. 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 Was, I feel like I've just been. Woo! Amen. Amen. Well, quick, I just want to remind everybody, this upcoming Sunday, we're going to be honoring Pastor Lawrence. So like Miss Laurel said earlier, if you have anything, whether you want to bring a card or you just, there's something on your heart that you would just like to bring to just let them know how much we appreciate them. Some of us have been here the entire time, the whole eight years. Some of us has just been a little a little while, but we really want to honor them, all right? We, we want to show honor to where honor is due, and, and this is how I look at it for everyone. God has honored us in giving us his son. Therefore, he calls us to honor everyone in some ways, whether we want to honor them or not, but Pastor Lawrence and Miss April, they're worthy of honor, all right? They're worthy of honor. So let's pray real quick. Father God, we thank you for everything that you've spoken to us today. We thank you that, that we're going to walk out of here with one just being just charged up, just charged up, Jesus. But, but, but more than that, Father, that we walk out of here knowing whose we are. We're yours. We are your special prized possession, and, and you paid the ultimate price. You gave your son, and, and I'll leave you with this, my favorite little verse about this, that, that if you gave us your son, how will you not with him give us every, 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 every good thing? And we praise you for it in advance. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. amen.